Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. This is Ashley Giordano, Senior Editor at Overland Journal and Expedition Portal. And today I'm hanging out at Overland Expo West in beautiful Flagstaff, Arizona. I've escaped the wind and the dust and I'm sitting in this Black Series trailer podcast studio with some very special guests, Jordan and Candace from Be Old Later. Hi, <laughs> welcome. So nice to have you guys here. So happy to see you. Yay. And a special thanks to Onyx Maps for supporting this week's podcast. For me, being prepared is all about having the right tools. One tool I use is the Onyx Off-Road Map and Navigation app on my phone. I use it to find trails and off-grid camping, and I use the fully functional GPS when I'm out of service. We all know that's usually where the best parts start. It's intuitive to use and lets me find open trails anywhere you want to explore with just a tap on the map. Access detailed trail information like difficulty ratings, duration, clearance level, open and close dates, trail photos, and more. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are very helpful for when I want to try to find off-grid camping. And like I said before, I want to make sure that this sticks. It has offline maps. This feature allows me to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when I'm out of cell service. Your phone's internal GPS will give you full navigation capabilities offline. So you always know where you are and how to get home safely. Use code Overland Journal today to save 20% off. Guys drove down from Squamish, Squamish, Squamish BC, mm-hmm. in your in our '97 Mitsubishi Delica, and you also took that vehicle from is it Squamish to uh, Ushuaia, it was like Vancouver to Tuktoyaktuk down to Ushuaia. Actually, starting in Overland Expo West oh, yeah. uh, in 2018 is where we initially started our journey. Amazing! Went back went all the way to the top. Yep, all the way to the top through the Canadian way and then all the way to the bottom. Skipped a couple parts because we have a right-hand drive, but otherwise, and there's restrictions in some countries, but otherwise, yeah, then all the way to the bottom of South America. So how did you deal with the steering wheel restrictions, right-hand drive? We basically just shipped around uh, Costa Rica. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had to ship it out of Guatemala. Like our time schedule is like a little short in the middle. So we were just like, oh, we had been to Costa Rica before and we were just like, yeah, we'll ship out of there. We had heard that El Salvador was sketchy for right-hand drive. Mm. We had heard that... Nicaragua could be like on the southern border, but re-entering. Yeah. yeah, so like if you got turned back from Costa Rica, maybe you would have to like get stuck between borders. Um, Happened to a guy; he had to put his like truck on like a flatbed and then pay for that, and then pay to ship to Colombia. Oh wow! Again, so like yeah. triple threat right there. So we there was a chance like we could have maybe maneuvered something where it looked like our steering wheel was on the other side or distracted like the border with a big bowl of fruit and like just tried to talk to them like don't look in the front but (laughs) it was too risky too sketchy and if people did pull you over in certain places where that wasn't allowed you just have to keep like you know bribing or keep talking or get impounded or get get, like yeah yeah, good to avoid yeah Yeah. we We actually found out about that rule at a tahoe event yeah it was like a tahoe van event or Bob, who does all the recovery stuff, he was like, oh, you guys are not going to be able to drive through. I think he told us maybe Nicaragua. And we were like, oh, man, we should look that up. And then, uh, yeah, it turned out to be Costa Rica. And we're like, it's a fun fact. And we're like, "Okay." we initially didn't buy the Delica for this trip. We bought the Delica for just like, let's camperize this, take this on, like go for real driving on the weekends, like just do like weekend stuff because we were working full time. But then it turned into the trip. Like when we when we were like hiking up to get married on the summit of the Grand Tetons, we were just kind of like we just had this like 
aha moment, like we should just do like a really big trip. So when we got the deli, it wasn't initially for Pan American Highway. I feel like if we had that initial idea before buying a car, we would have. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So it just kind of turned into that. And a lot of people with right hand drives like Costa Rica's outlawed that stuff since 2013. It's just been kind of you either get lucky or you take a risk or you don't. So gotcha. Yeah. So you used what you had to do the trip. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. And then the logistic unraveled themselves like, OK, well, now you got to ship from Guatemala or somewhere that's possible. And I think we were like maybe the, the first Third. handful of people. Yeah. Maybe third group. Well, I mean, I'm sure people have done it. Kyle and Jimena were a little ahead of us and they had done it in Adelica, shipped it over, gave us all their information. And then like we did a giant type up of it, passed that to people after us. So like yeah. now there's like becoming like Guatemala to Columbia route. So like, that easier, shipping company is probably like, please don't tell any more people. Yeah. We can't do that. It was <laughs> not Santos very like, organized. Yeah. We literally got to that shipping place and he's like, you have 15 minutes to get your stuff together and then you have to go to the port. You did not say that on the phone. <laughs> so you guys are originally from the US. Yeah. Is that right? But yeah. you've spent a lot of time living in Canada. Where did you get the vehicle from? Did you buy it in the States? Did you buy it in Canada? How did well, that in work? Canada, um, the, in Vancouver, there's the Delicas are a dime a dozen and the 15 year import is the L400, like the newer models, of course. So in Vancouver proper, even in, Squ in Squamish, it's just like, oh, Delica, Delica, Delica. It's not like interesting anymore. It's like but punch then, buggy, but punch Delica. Yeah. Right. So it's like punch Delica, no punch back. But then as soon as you <laughs> go over the border into the state, the first gas station you're at, like somebody's walking up and like, What's hey! that spaceship right there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then like it's 20 minute conversations with yeah. random people who don't know what the car is. But yeah, no, it's like interesting. They're really common up in, you've probably seen them a lot too. Yes. Yeah. 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 West Coast on Vancouver Island. Oh yeah. Tons of them as well. Yes. Nice. And then, so you guys had decided to do this trip. Did you, were you like, we're going to do the Pan American Highway or did you have other ideas about the big trip when you started talking about it? We had a couple other ideas. I've wanted to do like a hike through the Great Divide, Continental Divide, doing all of the U.S. with the Continental Divide and then going up into Canada doing the Great Divide. Like I would love to just be in the woods hiking for months at a time, just going from point A to point B. And that was, that was my idea. And then and Jordan's that like, seemed like a little <laughs> intense for me. Like I like hiking and stuff too. Like I was, she was like, let's do a six month trail. And I was like, uh, maybe we could do like a really long drive and do a lot of hiking on the drive. And I, I pitched it like, oh, we'll be like way more places. We'll get to do way more cool hikes instead of like boring sections of trails or whatever I said. That was kind of like a good compromise, I think. Like, it was a good idea. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, just to see all those countries and just to be able to. Yeah. It was a great decision to go with that. And plus, we're going to do some of the GDT this summer anyway. So nice. I get what I want now. But yeah, so like we were literally climbing, hiking up to the Grand, like some of the Grand Teton. We just kept having these conversations because, of course, like when you hike, you you know, like conversations flowing and we were just about to get married. So just like a lot of things were just coming up and it was like, let's do something big. Like this is the time to do it. Don't wait. Set our goals. Let's figure out how we can get to this point at like this point of our lives, like how much money we need to save, just all that stuff in the beginning. And that was like the big conversation of the hike. And then we literally tied the knot of our harnesses figuratively and like what we actually did at the top of the Grand Teton. We got married by who is now our friend, but he was a climbing guide who was also ordained by the Church of Dude, which is the Big Lebowski Church. And he's like, I'm pretty sure this is official. Like, this seems fine. He's like, it's no, pretty it's... legit. And we're like, oh yeah, it looks super legit. We literally got to the top, had a good weather window. He think he had like a little, he had a cap gun for us to shoot. Jordan didn't have a real mullet at that time. He had a mullet wig. And then I had like a little nice. like weird, like makeshift veil. And then we got married on top of there. And yeah, conversations just about the trip rolled out of that. After we were done getting married, we kind of just like focused on how we were going to make that trip happen. Did you see 
other people online doing the trip? Is that what sparked? Did you, yeah. were you just aware of it? I mean, we had seen you guys' trip probably when we started researching the Pan American. We lived in New Zealand for a while and saw like all kinds of crazy vans over there. And we're like, oh, these are awesome. And we saw people like Chilean plates and like places we had traveled and like down in Patagonia we had been before. And we're like, whoa, what are these like crazy vehicles, you know? And like, that was probably in like the 2012 time. First time we saw people like really going for it in vehicles. And we had traveled in a, like a Subaru with like a platform in the back of it for a while. Nothing that we'd consider like overlanding. We were just like, oh, we're just out traveling for months, you know, in the Subaru. Three months in the States, yeah. living on a plat, like sleeping in a platform that was like two inches from the ceiling. So if you got yeah. up suddenly, you just, you learned real quick that you, you don't have a lot of space, <laughs> like a yeah. nightmare. You'd be like, oh God, <laughs> in my face. Well, yeah. Like as soon as you start researching like long vehicle travel, you're like, oh, Pan American's like the longest route. You see all the other people doing it. Like, yeah, we saw you guys. There's Overland few, the few Delicas. Yeah. Overland the Americas of mountains and beaches, a dude yeah. from you know those guys? Yeah. I mean, they had a Delica and I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And like we actually met that at, them at MEC like right That's after so their random. trip. We're driving by and I was like, oh, wow. I know that Delica. And we like stocked them down in the We're like, the hey, store. we love like, what you've done. <laughs> I love when that happens. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I do too. And then when it happens to you, like you're just like, Super you just want to pay it forward. But yeah. Like, <laughs> but it's one of those things. Like if people have questions, you yeah. just want to just like any advice you can give. Anything just to like motivate them, inspire them. So yeah, you guys Absolutely. did it for us and like over then the Americas and a couple others. And then we just kind of, yeah, formed our goals, figured out a bit of a plan. Went from there. What did you learn from the platform in the Subaru that you like applied to your next build? That was very small. Yeah. So we just wanted to be bigger than that. And it, it was, was like, very hot. It was super capable. And yeah. like it had AC in it, which was nice. But like, oh, nice. Yeah. Like it was. <laughs> we're all like, what is oh, AC? AC? It was definitely small. And how we had it loaded, we were just like, we moved out of a place and we were just kind of like, no end point, just like traveling across the states with like kind of too much stuff in it, too, you know? So yeah. like, if occasionally we camp in like, you know, a neighborhood. And you have like this Subaru with like all this trash on top of it that like we pull out so we could sleep and like on the roof rack and like tucked under the car, just like not super stealthy. Gaming. No, oh, super dude. obvious. And we thought we were, you know, we thought we were like, oh, window covers. No, it was like it reflecting. Was, like, what are you guys being doing? So like, obvious. Like, yeah. okay, someone's clearly sleeping yeah. in there and just like fogged up windows. But <laughs> yeah, we learned like we want more space. We slept in the tent a lot too because it was yeah. way too hot. We want minimalist stuff with us. We want to be organized. Organization is like not very good on that trip we did and we also wanted like four by four capability because there was some instances when we we're trying to go to like i think it was like the south rim of the grand canyon yeah we almost got stuck in the middle of nowhere with no one else around we want something that's a bit higher clearance that's when we realized like we definitely want to do more four by four off-roading it taught us a lot but it was like our first i'd say like three months just like going around and it was nice. really fun it's hard to have the dog in there too there's not a lot of space right at least we had ac though in the van he was just like i'm so hot guys i can't Aww. handle mexico we need to swim every Every 10 minutes. What was your dog's name and what kind of dog were you traveling with? Nugget. And he was a border collie mix. He was the best. He was a sweetheart. How was it traveling with a dog along the Pan American Highway? In the beginning, I would say the north was pretty great. It was nice and cool. He didn't get super hot all the time. Like we have a fan and stuff in the Delica. So like that helps, but and more space for him. But we were just concentrating on like trails. We were concentrating on just being outside 99% of the time, unless it was like super rainy or whatever. So we'd always be outside. So just to have him there, he's just been so many places. Like our parents are like, that dog has been more 
places than we've been. And he has. <laughs> so it's like, it was great to have him. And he's, but he's not a guard dog or anything. He's a guard dog to like people we like and our friends. But if like crazy people want to like come and break into the van, he's like, oh, they're probably fine. And he like wouldn't bark then. It's the so, worst judgment. Terrible judgment on a dog. It's like, I love everybody. Except your friends. Except your friends. Oh, I'm going to bark like, at all your if friends. If you know someone, he'd be like, oh, I'm going to bark at them for sure. But like just some random person like scouting around your vehicle or something. He's like, oh, they seem legit. But then when he just wants to say hi really loud, that's all we would say. He's like, oh, he's just saying hi really loud to you. Just pet him. You'll be fine. He won't bite you. Yeah, it was great to have him in the North and in the States. When we got through into Mexico, it was very hot. Right. So having a dog with no AC, you're focusing every day on where are we swimming, focusing on the dog, basically like not dying in the car. Just like never leave him in the North. If you had to leave him for, you know, an hour or something in the van, throw the fan on, you could like go into a restaurant and stuff. He's like super at home in the van and just chills. And he's like, this is my safe spot, you know, it's like perfect temperature. Mexico is like, you never leave always with you anywhere. He can't go to the ruins. He can go a lot of stuff. So like, there's a lot of restrictions having a pet with you. So then in Mexico, we decided we were going to beg our parents to see if they would watch him for the rest of our trip. And Jordan's parents were amazing enough to be like, yeah, bring him up. Let's figure this out. So we actually left the van in Cancun and we flew for Christmas. Yeah. Christmas. Yeah. yeah. yeah we flew from Cancun to, to Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. And then we got like a rental car and drove down to his family in Pensacola, Florida with Nugget, who we did give doggy drugs to, to be on a plane, which yeah, is not a good idea. Maybe it works for some dogs, but we went to like some the random Mexican vet. vet was like, yeah, just give him this. It'll be totally fine. And we're like, okay. He like couldn't open up his eyes for like eight hours. And we had to like carry him down the stairs. Probably didn't look very good in an airport, oh, no. but he was fine eventually. Just peed a couple times uncontrollably, but it's all good. So I don't recommend giving your dog doggy drugs for an airplane. <laughs> but at least we could bring him on the plane with us at that point. That was easy. So yes. yeah. I mean, at that point it was like Mexico was kind of the point of no return. Cause like if we pushed further south it was going to be we thought we'd take like a sailboat across the Darien Gap if we had him with us instead of flying so that would eliminate a plane flight but like on the way back we were going to ship the van back how do you get him back from you know like South America and we're right. like it's going to hopefully you could still do like the ESA kind of situation and like bring him on with you or you just have to like throw him in cargo and at that time he was 13 years old he was 12 so. 12 at that point 12, I think 12, 13 so yeah it was didn't like, want to put him in cargo right so yeah it was it was definitely a big decision and a hard one but like he's way happier staying in one place He's not a travel dog. He loves routine. That was like probably the worst thing for him. He's like, new people every day, new places. Oh my God, I'm always on my toes. What do I have to do to guard these people? And then when he, he was at Jordan's parents' house and then also my parents' house, he was like, oh, I have my backyard. I can chase the deer every day. Like this is perfect. Nice. So it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to make that decision, I'm sure, as dog owners, because yeah. you obviously want to be with him all the time, but you realized that this was a better place for him to be for the time being. And it changes your trip. Now you have yeah. time to climb. You have time to do those mountains. You have time to climb those volcanoes. You have time to do all of these things that you couldn't really do when you had Nugget. But if you found like a couple or another bunch of friends on a trip like this, which like you guys did too with a bunch of people. And if they had dogs, you could be like, okay, let's do a trade-off. You watch the dogs. We're going to go hike this and then we'll switch the next day. So that's like, I feel like that's the way a lot of our friends with dogs did it. Yeah. So it's possible. It is super fulfilling to have them with you. You know, like, I mean, he's like your family member and it's a different trip and it's more complicated, but it's definitely rewarding. And like, Yeah, it's definitely worth it. I think one of the things that I admire about you guys the most is your ability to get away from the vehicle and you're super active, like always hiking or climbing or like seeing the backcountry of all of these places. Did you learn how this was this something that developed over time or did the trip inspire you to do more of those activities? Like how did you start out there? I think the trip was like pitched as like we're going to use the vehicle to like 
go hike and climb in as many places as we can. That was the basis um, of the trip. So that was like the main thing just to see these countries, see the hikes, do all of those, like as many mountains as we could do. Like the van was, is amazing. We love the van. That's our home. It was the vehicle to get us to those trailheads, to get us to those hard to get to places. Right. And we did some like tracks and stuff in the van, but it's not like the most four-wheel drive capable, you know, off-roady vehicle. So like most of the times we'd be like, oh, we want to do something in this area. We'd go hike instead of like off-road. That would kind of be our general choice or like backpacking for a few days or something. Yeah. Did you have areas where you felt like they were your absolute favorites or any hikes or climbs that you absolutely loved? Yeah, we had like a few <laughs> bucket list things or like for the trip, we're like, we want to climb Cotopaxi. Yeah, and we did huge. that, which was sweet. It was like the worst weather. It was like it being was inside of like a, was it ping pong ball kind of deal? I would say tennis ball. That's not the way to say it. <laughs> Inside the tennis balls are white too. Yeah, still counts. Probably darker. It was gnarly. Like, but we wanted, we've always wanted to climb Cotopaxi. So it was just like weather window, whatever we can get. We found like local slash not really local guide who tried to meet us. And he was like at a roundabout. We were apparently supposed to pick him up, but that wasn't communicated to us. So we drove right past him. And then he had to hitch a ride from like this roundabout into the park, which took a really long time. So he's already upset when we first met him. And then he's like, we're having lunch. And we're like, okay, that's fine. Let's just all have a giant lunch together before we climb this. But yeah, so at first it was kind of a bit unraveling, like, oh God, how is this going to be? But he ended up being like this amazing guy, just absolutely incredible. Very, a lot of experience, like everyone who knew him, like at the lodge at the bottom of Cotopaxi called him maestro, like master teacher, basically, like he was the master. And the weather was so bad the morning of our climb that the other groups that were supposed to do the mountain, they're like, we're going to wait it out. We're going to wait it out. Our guy, the maestro, he's like, I think you guys can do it. Let's go for it. He basically kickstepped the whole way. It was like some of the most snow and rain that they've had. Yeah, we didn't use crampons. We didn't all. use like crampons. Just snowing. Just kicking into the wow. snow. He kickstepped every single step on the route that he knew. So all the other groups basically followed in his footsteps. And they were just like so thankful, like, oh, we're not going to lose money from these people. We can take them up to the mountain. But yeah, he's amazing. We get to the top and we get a little bit of a view. You can see like into like the caldera, whatever, of the volcano. You're just like, this is incredible. But it was something we'd always wanted to climb. And we're just like, this is the best. And we wanted to guide for it because we have climbed mountains on our own for sure. When there's always like movement of glaciers, movement of crevasses, different times of year, like mountains are always changing. So why not find a local guide? And then yeah. you have like a new friend. And But then we had to, you can finish the story if you want. <laughs> I think we would have turned back without him probably just because like we didn't know that mountain well and it was like literally white out raining and we were just like, this is terrible. And like every hour he'd stop and be like, uh, we should probably turn back. Now let's give it another 10 minutes. And like <laughs> summit, every summit. hour for like six hours, the summit morning was like, this is great. Have but, a little bit of water, a couple of M&Ms. Yeah, let's yeah. go a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. And that peak is notoriously shy. I yeah. remember that from being there. Yeah. And the other thing is... Is it erupts from time to, well, it sort of can't, yeah, it's active. I'm sure he had a lot on his mind. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, we get down and we're like so tired. So and beat. we're just like, okay, maybe we'll like take a little nap and then go out. And he was like, no, we should just go. So we had some food, went down to the van. It started, which was good. A ton of smoke because it Black was parked smoke. at like the it's trailhead. It's very high elevation, high. right? Yeah. And then we had agreed to take him back home. So we didn't have to like ride back because he was kind of bummed about our inter- first interaction, you know? <laughs> Not so we're like, yeah, we'll take you home. Uh, where do you live? And he's like, oh, Rio Bamba. And it's like four hours away. And we're like, <laughs> we're so no. tired. We're so beat. 
seat. Immediately we get in the van with him. He sat in the front. I sat in the back. Like, we they don't have seats in the back. both passed out. We both passed out immediately. And poor Jordan had to drive him all the way to his house. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, and then we're in Rio Bamba. We're like, oh my God, we need to sleep somewhere. This is so bad. It cascades into another story. But yeah, that was one of our favorite hikes. I was going to say like Peru and stuff. Peru was, was incredible. Sick. Waywash. Waywash was the longest we've been. Uh, backpacking eight days on our own. No help. That was awesome. Organizing that food and whatever food you oh, can find. Yeah. That was very interesting. What <laughs> did you learn from that? Do you have any great like backpacking food, packing tips? No. Not in Peru. <laughs> He's shaking in his Peru, head. Like, we were like, man, maybe we could find some dehydrated food somewhere. No. Yeah. <laughs> we brought like apples, anything we could find. Heavy, yes. heavy stuff. Yes. And ration your stuff out. The last day we had like a Snickers bar and like four Oreo cookies. And we had to hike six Two hours. passes or something? Two yeah. passes, Woo! two high passes and hours on the last day and it was hot. So we'd be like, as soon as we get to the top of that hill, we each get a bite of the Oreo cookie. So we would just like ration it off by hills. And then like our stuff, our food was gone like so quickly, but we made it out, but definitely ration, learning rationing a lot better. But it's heavy. When you guys were at Cotopaxi, is that where you did some volunteering or was that Chimborazo? It's just after that, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess we volunteered a few times on the trip, but like yes. Punch. Um, the mural that Candace painted and yes. stuff was like literally Really, the day we got to Rio Bamba, dropped him off. We like found a spot on iOverlander. The places we tried were like, no, can't stay here. They all said no. And we were like, we're so tired. We went and we ate like a pizza each. And then we just kept like (laughs) talking to places. And like, yeah, it was all no, no, no in the town. So then we found one place that was like a bit outside of town. And that ended up being Casillo del Tura. And we get there and it's like the most amazing people that we like some of the most amazing family that we'd met. They own a farm. They have guinea pigs. They have cows. They obviously eat the guinea pigs. We all know that now. Yes. Yeah. They had a farm and they had a place for overlanders and showers, everything, just like a little ranch with like all this land. We get there. We're so tired, Ash. I can't even tell you how tired we were. And you know how it is when you first meet people and then you have a car and it's like, oh, I do is talk to you about everything. And we're like, I don't even know how we're speaking words right now. Mostly in Spanish. All in Spanish. Hard Spanish after your brain. I can't today. Jordan was like, I'm not talking to anyone. So I was like, no, I got to get it together. Meeting them for the first time, going to be staying at their place. So we're just like talking in Spanish and like my brain is mush, but I can do this. And then we get to his front of his house and there's a big wall that's just painted like this orange color. And I'm an artist. His name is Juan. And he's like, I've always wanted a mural right here. And I was like, oh, I paint murals. Like I've painted stuff before. He's like, oh my God, this is destiny. (laughs) So that turned into us being there for about five, six, seven days painting this mural with the help of, you know, his kid, like this kid who lived in the back, like that family. And just like, we just, at one point, I think we had like six people on it, painting it. And it was this awesome experience. They fed us so much meat, delicious beers and all of these things. And we ended up spending carnival with them eating guinea pigs around their dinner table with like all of his family, which turned into just this amazing drunken evening where I'm drawing caricatures of everyone like on their chest and Sharpie. <laughs> Crazy. That's pretty good. Pajaro Azul came out. Yeah, Pajaro Azul was yeah. like basically like nail polish remover but an alcohol that you drink. I don't know how it didn't melt the water bottle or the bathtub it was made in. But we all like passed that around from like Carnival in Ecuador and it was, yeah, it was amazing. But that was literally like a day, that same day we climbed Cotopaxi, we met these people and it turned into a mural so much in a couple days. <laughs> and you have a really special story about how you figured out what to paint on the mural, I believe. Is that right? Like it yeah. had the a lot of meaning to the owner. Yeah, he's like a big 
cyclist. He always cycles in the area around and like Chimborazo is like, he could probably ride his bike there easily. And he's like, oh, I've always wanted to climb it and stuff. So he's like, oh, I definitely want Chimborazo in it. And then we were like, oh, we should put you on a bicycle in it. Obviously, vicuñas and like all the animals and plants, like native stuff. We're like, yeah, yeah, we'll throw like an overlander in the front of it in the image. And then like, we'll throw our little van, like putting along a road or something like that. Yeah, it was like, kind of just like, I think you even sketched it out maybe that first night we were there or something. I don't know like, how. She was like, oh, what just start happened? sketching. And I was like, I blacked out. So like she sketched it out and like showed him. He's like, oh, it's perfect. And we we're like, well, there it is, I guess. Like, and then I had 10 Kui's guinea pigs <laughs> in it. But I said 10, but I actually only put nine in there. So he still thinks he can't find the 10th one. So he tells all the travelers who come and stay there, there's 10 guinea pig, like little hidden guinea pigs in this. you got to find the 10th one. But I don't think anyone's found it yet. He probably just drew one in just to like calm his mind <laughs> but yeah so that meant a lot to him when he saw like him as a cartoon riding on his like bike he was stoked on that and then yeah we had to put i think jordan painted all the stickers from our roof box on the delica i'm like i'm not doing that he's like i'll do it they're like nice. a couple millimeters big so tiny wow but yeah it was it was a wonderful time and that's the whole slowing down like that message of like you don't need to go fast. You need to slow down because that's when these stories happen. And that's when you meet some of the best people you'll meet. So. And you guys uh, did some other volunteer projects. I think, was it a drawing class for some kids? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Where was that? That was in Mexico. It was a an orphanage for kids and just also like a school. It was just like a mix, like whoever could go. And if kids didn't have the opportunity to go to school, that'd be the place for them to be. Um, but yeah, we reached out. We're like, hey, we teach, I teach how to draw cartoons. We'd love to come there and and teach the kids how to draw some cartoons. And they're like, oh my God, that sounds great. When can you be here? And we figured out a time that would work and we were just driving through the area. And yeah, so we, we go there and we like, we meet all the kids. They're literally all coming off a bus and they individually come up to us and say hello and thank you for being here. All the kids oh. were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Which also took a really long time because there was a lot of them, but it was great. And they're, I think they're, they're all pretty young. I don't think anyone was over 12. So it was all a bunch of young kids. But it was great because like the older kids took care of the younger ones. And it was just like a, like a big little family basically here. Yeah. You know, we talked to the like headmaster guy, asked him where we could do all this stuff. And we went to the papeleria down the street and got poster boards because they didn't have a dry erase board or a chalkboard or anything where the kids could watch me draw and copy me. That's how I do it. Um, So we bought poster boards. We literally taped them to poles at the orphanage and we bought paper for all the kids and like pencils. And yeah, it turned into this like uh, the girls and the girls were over here, the boys were over there. So I taught the girls how to draw like a duck, a cat, a puppy and like a butterfly. And they just copy what I do like everything. And I did it all in Spanish. Like, I don't think I could do that right now, but I was like, okay, come on, somos canaris. Like start with the nose and like go from here. And they would look at what they drew and they'd be like, oh my God, I just drew that. And then they would color it. And then they saw, I remember this one girl, she saw the wedding tattoo on our fingers and she drew it all over around her butterfly. And she's like, I drew this for you. I'm like, you're so observant. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> It was amazing. Wow. And then we taught the boys how to draw. And then, and then everyone wanted to play football, like soccer. So it was just like turning yeah, into a big soccer. Me. Then they soccer. smoked Jordan <laughs> soccer. soccer. I was like, I'll, I'll do the cleanup, go play with them. But it was amazing. And that again, slowing down, taking the opportunity, giving back to the communities you're driving through. And like that made us, you know, like almost a part of that place just for a minute. So it was, it was awesome. And like, same with the murals, like those paintings are going to be there for a while, you know? And that's like a story you can tell and they'll tell that story when other people come look at them. So you're 
a part there, you know? So yeah. yeah Candace great. taught kids how to draw and like uh I guess Guatemala. it was the day after we climbed Acatenango in Guatemala and then um, also in like Chile and like Puerto Natales and like, yeah, like lots of little groups of kids like always like loving to learn how to draw and they get so like wild and fun. Um, bunnies and puppies and kitties always. They yes. all love that stuff. And it seems like such a simple thing, but it's so powerful. Yeah. 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 Teaching them how to draw. And then I remember I taught a girl back in the day when I was, when we were in New Zealand and I worked for the YMCA and she kept drawing and then I saw her. I think again, before we left and she's like, I perfected the Easter bunny. You showed me how to draw. I was like, see, like one, maybe one out of five will do that. And like, you can at least like, you know, help them out a little bit. Like the art inside of them is actually coming out. So yeah, it's really good to see that. That's so awesome. And you guys, did you both work from the road when you were traveling or how, how did that work with your jobs that you had before you left? Yeah, we both like finished up work in Vancouver and then got on the road, I guess, we had originally planned on like a year to do the trip and that. Ha. So I think I think we were like a year, maybe like nine or 10 months and we were in Mexico and we we're like, well, we should refigure this out. And then we had to go back to the States for a couple of friends' weddings in the summer. And we had missed the window for Patagonia's summer because we wanted to be there in summer, not winter, just for hiking instead of skiing. So we we're like, let's take three months. We'll go back to Montreal and work. And I had found a job there to just do some work for like three months. And Candace was working on like client stuff still. So we were like, go back, go to the weddings hit some work for three months, come back and finish. I did work on the road. Yeah. I did a lot of, um, I did your sticker on the road. Thank you for hiring Thank me to you. do yours. <laughs> I was in Argentina after a rodeo. I think I sent it to you after like the craziest rodeo I've ever seen in my life. Just gauchos everywhere. It's red and drunk in the face, but doing stuff on horses. You're like, I did not think that was possible. And then I sent you your sticker in a local gas station. <laughs> I love it. Literally we love our sticker too. If anybody's listening, I don't want to get too into it, but it's basically like a picture of me driving with my hair, like blowing back in the wind and yes. Richard's in the passenger seat with a map and his hat, like hat is flying off with an, in our little red truck. And we absolutely love our stickers. Very so fun. Thank to do. you. Yeah. Very fun to work with you guys. And the so power fun to of do. art. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but doing it for travelers, like that was a lot of client work that I did. I worked on like a comic book, like a little cartoon comic book for a client. And that was like a big project. So that was good. That was like good money coming in. But so that was me curled up in the van on like two different computers, sketching on one because that was all it was good for. Putting it on Jordan's computer and like vectoring or like doing the coloring. And yeah, not the best setup ever. I didn't even have a place to sit. My back was a mess. But you would find like local cafes that hopefully had Wi-Fi and just watch like the spinning wheel of death, like send your file within three hours just to get a little like 30 bucks or something. It After worked. the fact, like all our friends are like, why didn't you just get an Airbnb for yeah, a day? It would have been like eight bucks or something. Five dollars like, in oh, Bolivia yeah, to get like. never really thought of it. Yeah. Uh, we I don't know why. I don't know Live what. and learn. Next time. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, next time if you need to send like a big project and you're working and you're traveling, like yeah, go pay 15 bucks for like a mansion Airbnb in like middle of nowhere Bolivia. <laughs> if you can find Was that. it hard to manage? Like I, you just gave me some examples, but did you have ongoing client work or did you go in like spurts and how did you balance it with being on the road for time. This is great because this is what we're doing a panel on Ooh. on Sunday. Yeah, so I have these questions, questions written down. Yeah. No, it was a uh, balance was important because obviously you don't just want to like be keeled up in the van and then find a, you know, a place with Wi-Fi for days and just like 
So you, you do like your, you know, I think one of the best examples was driving over like salt flats, like Solar de Uni in Bolivia. And then I had to send a, like a client, a sticker, like a logo for her salon. And I needed to get that done. It was very simple and not a big file, but because the internet there was like so slow, we're like, okay, we might need to dedicate some time to this. So we did a couple days on the salt flats and then we dedicated maybe four hours to sending that file after we were done playing, you know? So you play, you play, you play, and then you're like, okay, well, gas money is just a click away and four hours of watching a spinning wheel. And then, yeah, that file would be sent and be like, okay. But my clients, I would say from the beginning, you got to be flexible with me. I'm on this trip. Deadlines are really not in my in my book right now. As long as you have flexibility and you're not needing something on time and like a, a very short amount of time, we can work together. And if that client did say they needed that, then I would not take on that project. Most of my clients were all flexible. A lot of it was just for fun. People supporting us, people like wanting a sticker and yeah, logos for restaurants, things like that. So yeah, it was it was a balance of got to give me the flexibility for it and then we can go forward and then you'll get it when you get it. It was never too long, like maybe just like a couple weeks here and there. I didn't take any project on that would be like dragging us down and working too much, mostly quick. Good to set those boundaries and expectations Absolutely. ahead of time. Yeah, yeah it's huge. And it kind of just like unfolded into itself because it was quick projects. And if someone's like, I want you to illustrate a kid's book, I was like, I don't have the materials for that here. Like I would need like my setup, not like a computer from 1997 that I can only sketch on. That's a paper weight and like a MacBook that's barely working. Not the best. So simple things worked, but nice. Yeah. This content is brought to you by Overland Journal, our premium quality print publication. The magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews, along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, you're helping to support our employee-owned and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. You can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com. And then you guys eventually, when you were done with your trip, came back and sort of settled in, was it Squamish first? Yeah. And how was that like re-entry process with work and just all like the differences between traveling full time on the road and then coming back and plugging back into the matrix, as I like to call it? Yeah, there should be like a group for that. Like we should all like sit in a circle in chairs and be like, how do you feel today? Because it is a huge life switch. But yeah, you can take it. So when we first got back to Vancouver, we did a little work on the van and then yeah, we were just like looking for an apartment because we were, we had jobs starting. Yeah, I think we were both like lined up for work. And then we were just like, need an apartment. I have just like big equipment to work on like post-production stuff. And it was just like, need a place to do it. And we were super broke and like had like credit card bills to pay. So we we're like, need to start working very soon. Um, what kind of work were you doing? I do like post-production visual effects for film. Like, okay. so like, yeah, just like special effects kind of stuff. We're looking around, but it was really hard to find a place. And we're, it was like getting to the rainy season in Vancouver, which is kind of so always, but like time. the cold, <laughs> rainy, cold rainy season. Still right so it was now. like November. 
and we're like living in the van on the streets and like, <laughs> on Mamquam Forest Service Road. Yeah, either like up Forest Service Road or sometimes we were in North Van, like cruising around and just like you're like looking for apartments all day and you're like, oh, we should definitely have a shower today, you know, like and trying to plan that. And then yeah, it got kept to the bothering point. our friends or like we can't stay and like burden them anymore. And just like we need to find a place. Yeah. It's hard in that area, too, because it's. It's like Canmore or like, you know, all those places where it's really, really hard to find rentals and they're few and far between. So it definitely takes some time. Oh, yeah. It was bad. Yeah. And Squamish, like over the past like two years or so is like, like, I mean, everywhere in Canada and probably in the States and just everywhere. But yeah, it's become insane. We got in like kind of at the start of that rise. So like we kind of got lucky that we found a place even. I think somebody um, had wanted the apartment. And dipped out on it. I was like, oh, we're taking something else. And we were like on a backup list. And like the guy hit us up and was like, yeah, you guys can have it. We got lucky. But like, yeah, I think before we even got there, when we got back to the States, like I think I told you, but all the borders closed around us because of the pandemic. So before we even like, like at the end of our trip, before we even got back, we were just like watching Montevideo close down. And we were supposed to go back to Buenos Aires, like Argentina with our friends for three weeks before we were completely done with the trip. Like we were so lucky to actually go to the bottom and be working your way back up before the pandemic closed everything down. And a lot of people like tried to wait it out. That was not a good idea in the long run. But like, yeah, like when we were coming back, it was just like, oh God, this is happening. Change all of our flights. We have to leave Uruguay to get back to the States. Thank goodness we got our van and their car in a container before like shit hit the fan really. Cause that was like in a container ready to be shipped back to America, to Texas. I think that was like the easiest thing to do like logistically. And then, yeah, we were on phone calls that kept dropping, trying to switch our flights. And it was just like, you'd get so far to the point of like, okay, everything's all set. And then it would drop and you're like, no, we're going to start from the bottom. But yeah, it was, it was wild. And then getting back to the States during the pandemic, like we're just like waiting, waiting, waiting for the van. But our first job back from like before doing visual effects and and working in like cartoons, which is what I do. We actually helped our friends. They work for a company, Dirt Sunrise. You probably met Tim and Kelsey. They're the best. We love them. (laughs) Shout out to them. They're like in Europe right now. They just got their car back. Oh my God. They waited forever. Yeah. We worked with them. They were like, do you guys want a job like mapping roads for the Bureau of Land Management? And we're like, oh, what? That sounds amazing. So as soon as we like finally got the van back, we went to go help them out uh, because the couple that usually helps them in a Jeep couldn't do it for that session of work. So yeah, we went and beat the shit out of the van for like three months mapping all these incredible forest service roads that we would never have the balls to drive. Saw so many great camp spots and wonderful places and actually did a lot of work. Like literally had like an old school tracker, like beeping, keeping track of where we were driving. And that would show the Bureau of Land Management people like, oh, this road does still exist because they were just working off of satellite imagery to see if like from ages ago, they'd be like, is that still there? We need someone to drive it or walk it if you couldn't drive, which we did. We did a lot. It's like, we can't bring the van through this. You get a paycheck and then you have to get your van fixed. You get a paycheck, get your van fixed. It's like like a vicious cycle. But that was our first job coming back off the trip. So that was a nice little, you know, segue into reality again, because that was super fun. But then you go back to sitting at a desk and you're like, oh, my God, what are we doing? (sighs) Love being creative again and drawing. That was really fun. But then you're just like, okay, I need to just like make giant calendars and have goals for future plans now, which is what we're doing. What are those future plans? Well, or do you know yet? Yeah, I mean, somewhat like, yeah, I mean, we want to do another long vehicle based trip. Recent (laughs) events in the world have kind of screwed that around a little bit depending mm-hmm. on what we thought we might do next anything we were thinking of that like vehicle based was probably like a year or two off just planning on like saving and maybe building up a bigger truck or like a different truck for like a european trip for instance instead of like the delica <laughs> um but who knows maybe the delica would 
make it over there too. But then like also like longer term, like hikes and stuff like that. I think I owe Candace a six months on a trail somewhere. Probably. Well, we're going to hopefully see each other on a Cinnaborn, oh, yeah. which I'm sure I'm saying wrong because everything in Canada I say wrong. But yeah, <laughs> everything I say in the US, I say wrong too. So we're good. <laughs> like uh, It's pronounced as Cinnaborn. <laughs> no, no. We're, so we're moving out at the end of June and we're taking a month and a half to drive across Canada, which we've never done. Um, wish we had more time because there's so much to see. But we're going to focus on being, do a section of the Great Divide Trail and do, uh, yeah, five days in Assiniboine and just see if we can find some rivers to do some pack rafting in along the way, which we're, we've been getting into recently, which is really fun and new and exciting and a lot of adrenaline and terrifying. And yeah, we're going to be going cross country to my family's land uh, in Western New York. If we could find another vehicle, that would be the best place to redo it. My dad basically redoes cars. He's redoing a duster right now. He's redone a Barracuda. So he's got, he's basically like a hobby mechanic and also a carpenter. So we would have all the tools there. We'd have like such great help to redo something, but it's like finding that vehicle. Like right. where the search. Yeah. Hopefully we can shop around while we're here at Expo if we have time. I mean, even like old ambulances would be really fun to play with. But yeah, it's like we that's like half the fun is like redoing these vehicles and making them like another home for possibly a bigger trip. And standing would be really cool. Yeah, standing. Standing is fun. Yes. <laughs> Well, I'm really excited to see what you guys come up with. Yeah. Very excited to follow your adventures. Um, I'm going to steal Scott Brady's question because he always asks everybody on the podcast what their favorite book is and why. So I'm going to ask each one of you what your favorite book you go is. First. Oh, God, how dare you? <laughs> what are books? <sighs> to be fair, like on the Pan Am, we brought a ton of books and we we're like, oh, we're going to read so much. And I don't think I read a single book on the whole trip. And you might have read like a. I read a ton of medicinal plant stuff. Little Prince is a classic. Yeah, you don't even have like classic ones like that. Recent favorite book. That one's embarrassing because it's like a romance novel. I'm not even saying that. <laughs> Fabio's on the one cover. day, I think it was. I was like so into that book. I was like reading at lunch. Like normally I would run at lunch when I was working. But I was reading that book at lunch. Like Paige Turner. Yeah. It was so ridiculous. Like that's not something I'm usually into. I'm like, oh my God, this book is riveting. <laughs> this is incredible. I don't know. Like that would say... Like for the adventure, like in you as a kid. Yeah. Little Prince was amazing. Like that, like you could just take any line out of that. And that's just like, put that on a plaque and you can see that and be like, I'm inspired by that. If you could go to any country in the world right now, which one would you go to? Somewhere. I mean, I know that there, yeah, there's like a lot of crazy stuff happening, but it like, <laughs> doesn't matter. Mongolia Anywhere. would be amazing. Yeah. Mongolia is like, like that yeah, was just a, been watching a lot of stuff. That was yeah. like a, one of our initial plans, like to do across Europe and just like, Basically, to do that drive all Silk the Road way across. And, Silk Road. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're Classic. really into right now, too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just like super researching about it. And like, that's like plan for you guys, right? I hope so. Yeah. It's right now is a little bit dicey, yeah. um, but we have had our eye on it for a while. So, yeah. That whole, I mean, even just watching like the Ewan McGregor and like Charlie Borman stuff going through that, that was an amazing. And they barely skimmed the surface. Like, even when they did like the Pan American, you're just like, you literally just drove through some of the most beautiful places and did nothing in them. <laughs> Took a day to like drive through Peru. Yeah, yeah on a schedule. schedule. But like when they did like through Mongolia and stuff, like some of those areas are so beautiful. And like Georgia, Georgia would be incredible. We got a delicate buddy. Yes. And there's like mm -hmm. a delicate buddy in Georgia we stay in touch with. And we're like, oh my God, if we can ever 
make it there, even just like to see some of the places he has are beautiful. And okay, I got one more. See, I'm taking all of yours. Poland. So like Mm -hmm. my whole family is Polish. My grandmother has a book from her father, my great grandpa. And he basically wrote down like the life story of like his life and his family's life and wrote down every single place that they like own land and had a farm and like what his father had. And I sat down with my, my grandma and we went through this book and I was like looking up and showing her on Google maps, like where these places were. And she's like, Oh my God, I can't believe you can do this. Like, look, she didn't, she hadn't been to all of them is like before she was born in some instances. So like, I would love to do like when we do Europe, when it happens, I would love to just focus on like seeing those places like that he was in and putting those on a map and being like, this is like a, you know, a family ancestry trip. Yes. Like seeing all the heritage trip. Absolutely. Yeah. And like same with like Jordan's family, his mom just like really is in tune with everything that happened like back in the day with their family and like a lot of places they've been. So even like putting those on the map too, and just doing like both of our family's spots. I think that's like a really good premise for a trip that just starts it up, you know? Great story. Yeah. Yeah. So great. Yay. Thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. So good to yeah, see you. Thanks for, thanks for having us. us. Yay. I'm so excited. If listeners want to find you online, where should they go? Uh, just look up Be Old Later. Like we have a BeOldLater.com. Instagram, mostly. Be Old Later. Yeah. I mean, we're not huge YouTube people. We're trying to get better at that. Editing just takes so much time. I think we yes. have like three videos on that. But Jordan takes great time lapses. So it's like kind of easy to do. So yeah. Like, so yeah, YouTube, be old later on anything. I'm sure we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, thank you guys again for yeah, coming. Yay, and so good to talk to you. I can't wait to see you on the trails. Yes. I'm a Cineborn or a Cineborn-y, whatever it says, whatever <laughs> it's called. But yeah, thanks, Ash. Thank you so much for listening to the Overland Journal podcast. And we will catch you next time. <laughs>